really, again, I appreciate our time here. Sunday morning is uh, one of my favorite times of the week is uh, I just long to worship. I long to, for gathered worship uh, with all of you. And so uh, if, you want, if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 19, that's where we're going to be today as we continue our walk through the book of Matthew. Uh, but before we begin uh, looking at Matthew chapter 19, I just want to you know, let you know that uh, prayer is a vital part of, of what we do. Uh, as God's people. We are to pray for one another, and as uh, I appreciate all the prayers that you guys uh, offer for me, for our elders, and um, you know, just know that we're in prayer for you. Uh, every week I mention, hey, if there's a prayer request, write it down on the prayer card. There's a spot in our bulletin to fill that out, to put it in. Know that if that gets submitted or if you catch us before we leave and you just want prayer, uh, we'll pray for you on the spot uh, right there where we're at, um, you know, and know that, you know, we as, as pastors, elders, we struggle with things as well. And so uh, we really appreciate that. And it, it's, it's become ever more glaring in my life even this week as, uh, you know, even in, with your elders here, uh, all of our numbers are in the bulletin. But if you ever want to reach out to any of us, it's there. But, you know, this week, you, you notice Chad in April and the kids aren't here. His grandfather passed away in North Dakota. And uh, so he is with his family up there. They traveled, uh, you know, below zero temperatures and uh, I think he said like eight to ten inches of fresh snow to get there. And uh, so his mom flew in from Arizona, was able to spend the last day with her dad. And uh, so Chad was able to actually share and speak at the funeral yesterday, which is uh, a wonderful blessing as well. So continue to lift them up in your prayers. Just know that, um, you know, all of us uh, struggle with things in our lives. We're all dealing with difficult things. Uh, Jim's grandfather is in his last days. He's 98 years old. And uh, so he is, he's struggling as well. You know, Pastor Mark has lost both of his family, both of his parents, and uh, within the last year or so, his, his sister passed away. Um, you know, there's just, the, the, the needs are endless when it comes to prayer. And if we look around our own uh, worship service and our, our, our members here, uh, you know, uh, Scott and Lee's dad and Dave's dad, and you know, he's in the hospital again and dealing with some real difficult things. Uh, Simon, who's waiting for a hip replacement, back in the hospital dealing with some blood issues, and uh, that's put on hold. So I just really want to take a moment before we read this passage of Scripture and just pray for one another. Sit in silence for about 15, 30 seconds, and, and then I'll just lead us. Lord, as we gather this morning and we focus on every aspect of our life as being worship, uh, whether that's singing, the, the discussions that we have, uh, the, the reading of Scripture, the prayer, uh, Lord, may all of those things be pleasing in your sight and that everything that comes out of our mouth be God-honoring and glorifying. And we know that uh, many times it's not. But we thank you for the fact that you will forgive us of those when we faithfully repent and turn back to you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for those who you put in our lives to, to do ministry with, to live with. Uh, we thank you for the flock that is here uh, in Linwood. And Lord, we know as the elders, the shepherds, the pastors that uh, we have been called to shepherd this group of people and to do it well. And Lord, forgive us when we fall short of that. Lord, give us boldness in our witness as we invest in one another's lives and beyond into this community and beyond that. And Lord, this morning as we open your word and uh, we seek comfort 
in you and in you alone. Uh, we know that every one of us are dealing with something in our lives that we're struggling with. We know that every one of us have uh, some aspect of victory in our lives as well that we can give you praise and glory and honor for. And Lord, help us to be mindful of those things. And this morning, Lord, as we look at Matthew chapter 19, as Jesus addresses a group of people that just come with a questioning attitude, uh, unwilling to hear your word, Lord, this morning, let us be a people that hear you, that have ears that are attentive, that a heart that is willing to receive, and a life that is uh, more than eager to go and to serve. In your mighty name we pray, and all God's people said. Amen. You know, we've, we, we've come to a point in in our nation when marriage is rejected by many uh, it's attempting to be redefined by many uh, the actual marriage in regard to traditional historical form is outdated and a practical idea based on culture that we live in today and so when it's thought of as an idea uh, that's where it all goes wrong because ideas change they can be manipulated uh, they can be wrong uh, but it's not an idea. It's a command by God and God himself. And in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, uh, we see, uh, as we looked at Wednesday night in, in the creation, or the past two Wednesday night in the creation and fall, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 27 says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female, he created them. And then we see in, down in Genesis chapter 2, Verses 18 through 24, we see uh, the purpose, the, the will of God, his, his design, right? Verse 18, it says, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them, and whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, Now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. And so the way that people communicate things, we know that in our culture today, uh, throughout history, uh, that words have meaning and people change the meaning of words. But here, uh, what, what people joke about in our, in our culture today is what God said originally, Eve was literally and physically to be Adam's side chick. She was part of his side. She came from his side. She was to stand by his side, and he was to stand beside hers. They were suitable for one another. Uh, they were to support one another. To see, God said that the two would become one flesh, and they, would, uh, they had a specific purpose. They were to rule over God's creation, to multiply and increase and subdue the earth. Because Adam did not fulfill this role, uh, early on in the garden, the role as the husband, as a spiritual leader, the protector, uh, he did not speak up when Eve was misled, when she was confronted by Satan. See, because Adam was present, but he was absent. And far too often in our world today, we as men who are called to be spiritual leaders in our home, we're present, but we're absent. Adam knew what God said. He heard the serpent twist God's words, and he heard Eve uh, incorrectly adding to God's word to say not only can we not eat from it but we're not to touch it uh, 
She was misled, confused, and, and, and Adam was there and he didn't do what he was called to do, to be that spiritual leader, to be the protector of his wife. And that actually led to a marriage that from that day forward was not what God fully intended. See, in chapter 3, verse 16, God gives this command, and he said, or not command, but this um, consequence. He says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Now, that's not a good desire for her husband. What God is saying is the, the language there is that, that Eve would desire to replace the role that Adam was to fulfill, and Adam would harshly rule over his wife. That wasn't the intention of God's design. But as, as mankind messed that up, that was the ultimate consequence of that. And we see that uh, in our world today. See, what happened was uh, we now have a marriage example in Adam and Eve in which two who God brought together to become one are now focused more being on uh, individuals and separate. And that wasn't God's design or intention. But the beauty of that, not the beauty of that, but the beauty of God is that he doesn't let it stay there. He continues to pursue, he continues to seek. As we looked the last couple weeks in Matthew chapter 18 as we walked through there and we saw that, that God pursued even one that walked away, one of 99, 1%. And that's you today, church. That's me, that's every one of us individually that God continued to pursue us. And so as we look at chapter 19 this morning, verses one through 12, I want us to, to keep that at the forefront of what God's intention was, not what we uh, individually believe, have an idea of, uh, that's outside of God's intention. Let's read chapter 19 of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. When Jesus had finished saying these things, he left Galilee and went into the region of Judea to the other side of the Jordan. Large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. Some Pharisees came to him to test him. They asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? Have you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let no one separate. Why then, they asked, did Moses command that a man give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman commits adultery. The disciples said to him, If this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way. There are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. And so as we unpack this passage of scripture here, uh, we see a lot going on here. Nothing that we can fully cover uh, as deep as it needs to be covered in the next 25 minutes or so, 30 minutes or so. Uh, so I'd encourage you to continue to go back and read and look. Uh, there are a lot of pastors that uh, I focus on and, and commentaries that I use as I look at God's word. And uh, Alistair Begg is a guy, John Piper is a guy, Spurgeon, um, and then Warren Wearsby's commentaries. All of those things are wonderful. So I'd encourage you to, to continue to investigate. Uh, in Acts chapter 17, uh, the church is called to be a people that uh, receives God's word with eagerness, but searches the scriptures daily uh, to see if what was said was true. 
And so I would encourage you to do that uh, on your own time as well. And so verses one and two, we see that Jesus finished his ministry in Galilee and he has moved across to the Jordan River uh, in Judea. He has spent uh, significant time away from the crowds, away from the people, uh, so that he could focus his teaching time on his disciples, uh, that, that intimate time that uh, they are having. So now as he comes back, he's re-engaging with the people. Uh, the large crowds are once again pressing in on him, pushing all around. Uh, they're, they're coming in. He's healing. His popularity is growing. But of course, that means that the Pharisees are going to re-enter the picture also. See, the crowds came because they were attracted to him. He spoke with clarity. He was understandable. He wasn't boring like the religious leaders. He did not pull punches either. He said things that were compelling, and yet people still flocked to him. And we need to remember that in our world today, that we need to speak God's word with boldness, truth, but also with humbleness, with respect. Uh, and when we speak God's word, people are going to flock to it, not to us, but to God's word. In Mark's gospel, it's clear the same passage of scripture, the same story, uh, the same narrative that uh, when the crowds came, it says that Jesus taught them. And here, as we read in chapter 19 of Matthew's gospel, it says that Jesus healed them. Not that one or the other is right, but they're both right. Jesus' entire ministry covered healings and signs and wonders uh, and teaching. Uh, but we know that uh, Jesus did perform miracle signs and wonders and healings. But we know for sure that his, his ultimate goal was to come and to teach and to share the gospel. As he lived on this earth and he called these 12 men to himself and other disciples as well. And he spent that intimate time with them because he wanted them to understand and to know what his kingdom looked like and what his kingdom would become and what their responsibility in that kingdom was when he would leave them and send them the Holy Spirit to indwell them and to go and to make disciples of all nations to the ends of the earth. He was a teaching ministry. So we see that uh, Jesus says, uh, in Matthew's gospel, or sorry, Mark's gospel in chapter one, just after he healed the demon-possessed men, that the disciples came and said, hey, the people are looking for you. The crowds are pressing in. But Jesus responded, hey, we, we, we can't hang around here. It's time for us to go. We must go somewhere else to other towns because I've come to teach and to teach the gospel. These miracles are merely a sign of the kingdom of God, of who I am, he says. And he said, the time has come and the kingdom of God is near and then he finishes that by saying, repent and believe the good news. The good news that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He's the Messiah, the one that came, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life. And again, in that life that he lived here on earth, those few years, uh, he called men to himself and women to himself that would ultimately become the leaders of the church. The, the people that he would uh, tell, uh, you need to walk worthy of the gospel because it matters. The, what people see you doing is what you show you believe. How we act and what we say shows what we believe, church. See, people knew the Old Testament that were standing there. They knew what he was saying. He says, I did not appear from nowhere. I'm now here in the unfolding plan of God. See, he says, the prophets have spoken of the Messiah to come, and here I am. John the Baptist said, one will come after me, and here I am. He says, I'm not here to tell you what you want to hear to encourage your religious activities, but to turn around, say turn around, and repent because that's what repentance is is a, a, a change of mind a change of heart that we would completely turn from what we're invested in and invest everything that we have everything that we have on jesus christ and god's word see by nature we're going our own way uh, the, the world doesn't go from chaos to order 
it actually goes the opposite way. God has given us order, and we gradually become more and more chaotic, and we move away from God and from his word. See, we're, we're going our own way. We're making our own plans. We're redesigning our own agendas. And now I'm just asking you to change your heart, to change your mind, to change your direction, uh, to believe the good news. And so that's what the context of verses 1 and 2. And then in, in verse 3, we see uh, as the crowd is coming, they are coming to him. The Pharisees are coming for him. They were not coming to investigate as they were commanded to do. They were elders among the people. They knew God's word. They should have uh, been looking for ways to protect God's word and God's people. Uh, but yet they were coming to see if they could distract him, to cause him to misrepresent who he said he was. That was their normal behavior. Their focus was not so much uh, to teach and to instill God's word and to hold people accountable things, but their concern was to tear him down in order to build themselves up. And we see that far too often in our world today, uh, that we, even as we share God's word, uh, we tend to look, focus on tearing other people down in order to build ourselves up. In Mark 12, 15, Jesus says, I know your hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? See, we see a religious people using the God of word and attempting to undermine the identity and the work of the Son of God. And not a lot has changed, has a church? If we ask ourselves the question, or at least I ask myself the question a lot, uh, how is the Bible, how is God's word being used uh, to set forward who Jesus is, what he's done, uh, the truths of his resurrection, his life, the reality of his return, uh, the nature of his atoning sacrifice on the cross for your sin and for my sin? Or is it sim simply seeking to utilize the Bible so uh, someone might tempt, they might test, they might undermine or disprove uh, what clearly is said in the pages of the Bible? See, just because someone refers to the Bible doesn't give them justification uh, in their desires. The Bible speaks of people who utilize the scriptures to their own benefit, and yet the word says that in the end it will lead to their destruction. See, the Pharisees came not with honest inquiry where they truly longed for an honest answer, but it's because they had an agenda of their own to establish. They asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? They knew the law. They knew what it said, but yet they didn't live by it. And so the background to that question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Uh, in the context of that time frame, there were two groups of people that had their own convictions towards divorce. They, one believed that, hey, you can get a divorce for any and every reason, no questions asked, it's fine. And the other one was more conservative, really held to a more strict guidelines of divorce. But the problem was is they were both adamant proponents of the divorce, uh, that for whatever reason, whether it was an easy reason or a harder reason, that divorce was, uh, a, a, was an approval by God, and it's not. See, the Pharisees are trying to get Jesus to commit to one side or the other of those two groups of people uh, in order to alienate him from one of the groups. What they were doing was they were trying to get more people on their, on their behalf uh, and join them in their opposition of Jesus. We see that ultimately as the Pharisees and Sadducees throughout the New Testament uh, interact with one another only in the times where they oppose Jesus because they didn't get along uh, in, their, in their own lives because they had different beliefs of what God's word said. But when it came time to oppose Jesus, they were all in. And we see that still even in our world today. But, the, but as in all of that, we see that Jesus is aware of their hypocrisy. And so he turns the table on him. Jesus is always aware of the hypocrisy. 
In verses 4 and 6, he answers them by saying, 4 through 6, he says, haven't you read? He's basically saying, haven't you read? Don't you know? Haven't you heard? He knows that they know. He knows that they've read. He knows that they've heard, but yet they have hard hearts. They don't really care. They want what they want, when they want, and how they want it. And you better not say anything to them about it. We've already looked at the creation piece here in verses six, 4 through 6. Uh, God being the creator, male and female being the, the created, uh, and the design and the purpose in which they're to live. That here it says in verse 5, the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. So he speaks that to the Pharisees, but yet uh, they're not willing to hear it. Again, their heart is hard. They're not welcoming what, what he's saying. They're asking him, but they're not listening. And so Jesus comes back in verse 7, and he says, uh, or they come back at Jesus and ask, why then did Moses command that a man must give his wife a certificate of divorce and send her away? They're trying to find the loopholes there. Uh, how, how, how much of the law can I keep, but how far can I veer from the law and yet still be uh, seen in, in good light? Jesus replies with the same answer, but adds to it by adding, by driving the dagger deeper in the wound. And, and Jesus replies, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your heart was hard. But it was not this way from the beginning. Again, that's why we read Genesis chapter 1 at the beginning, was because it goes all the way back to the beginning, what God's design, what his purpose was. And yet man's sinful nature distorted the image in which God created us. So he says, Moses provided a piece of paper so that a, a man could say at that time, I have the proper documentation. It's all filled out correctly. I even went to the bank and got it notarized. I can divorce this woman. I can move on. See, Moses didn't do that to make divorce easy, but to regulate and control the chaos that was happening in the religious individuals who were looking for any and every reason uh, to divorce their wives. Their mindset the, of those, the, those seeking the divorce for those reasons was, if my wife fails to do anything the way I want it, she's gone. And that's why it is on the account of their hardened hearts that Moses wrote it. It's easy to say I'm done, but, but in God's sight, what he has brought together, let no man bring apart. See, and they were unwilling to accept God's purpose and God's will. They were unprepared to accept the nature of love within God's framework, not our own. The framework of the covenant of marriage that God intended because their intention was to see how far, like I said before, how far they could still remain within the letter of the law, just like today they wanted to have a plan B. Just in case at any time they felt the desire not to be bothered or complicated uh, by having a spouse. And any relationship that we've ever had, we can always look and say, at certain times, it might be easier to or without any of those things, but God calls us to be faithful. God was faithful to us and is faithful to us, and we are to remain faithful as well. We need to, we need to understand this piece right here or we're going to be all messed up. Well, I'm all messed up anyway. But these certificates were actually for prevention but the people were seeking them for permission. They were for prevention, but they sought them for permission. It was easy as long as you could get the piece of paper. With the paper in hand, they could kind of just walk out the door, be on their way to their new life, to their new adventure, to the new thrill, to the new thing that was gonna satisfy, with no concern for the destruction that they were leaving in the wake of their decisions. And people say the Bible is not relevant today. 
See, when any culture turns their back on God and his word and his works, uh, the implications are unavoidable. Destruction happens. Struggle happens. Consequences come. See, Jesus doesn't get here. He doesn't get all wrapped up in the discussion over the certificates. He kind of lets it go. He does what every one of us should still be doing today. He took it right back to God's original intent and design. He says, let's make sure none of us misunderstand the, the nature of marriage itself right back in the beginning, how God said, how God designed it. It's important to realize that, you know, Jesus is saying we must rightly believe about creation and God and get that right or else we can't get the reality of marriage correct. Marriage is not man-made. It's not an invention. It's not a social construct or something brought about for men and women to, uh, for us to make sense of our existence. Marriage is a creation ordinance, and marriage is a beautiful picture of the covenant between God and his people, between Jesus and those who have been redeemed, those who believe in him. The, the, the New Testament always refers to Jesus as the bridegroom and the church as the bride, the body of believers. And at the time of creation, God made man and woman. He established from, for them exactly how things are to be uh, in the world that he made. He's the maker. Listen to this, because this is important. It fits our culture today as it did then. God has every legitimate right to explain to his creation how and why they should act in this way. It's not about what we want. It's about what God has designed us to be, to do, to say, to live. He's called us to walk worthy of the gospel, not to fulfill everything, desire that we want outside of any of that context. It doesn't mean that God doesn't want joy for us. God gave us marriage. God gave us relationships to have joy. But ultimately, our joy comes in him and him alone. And then in verse 9, Jesus dumps salt into the wound and he says, I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. I don't, we don't know if he was speaking to someone specific there at that point or not, uh, but he does, uh, again, uh, make it even more harsh on them. Just like he says, uh, you view, like in the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus always said, you have heard it said, but I say, and he elevates that. Uh, in his teaching, he says, um, these men who believe that they have not committed murder. He says, but if you have anger in your heart, you've already committed murder. It's, it's not just the outward action, it's the thought, the desire that continues to, to build in us. Uh, we need to, to do as Philippians 4.8 tells us, uh, not to think about uh, things. Let me turn over there and I'll just read you that passage of scripture. In Philippians chapter four, after he finishes telling them how not to live and how not to think, he says in verse 8, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. And then in verse 9, Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice, and the God of peace will be with you. We are to... Uh, not only in the things that other people see, but in our own hearts and our own minds to fill ourselves with the things of God, not the things of this world. It was about record keeping for the Pharisees. 
It wasn't about remaining in God's will. It was about record keeping, looking good in the sight of, of others. And we must be careful not to do the same. Because I know for me, uh, there's many times in my life uh, that I look and I say, well, what, I wonder what this person thinks of me. I wonder what, and those things are important in the aspect of uh, pointing people to Christ, but not in, in prideful ways, not in arrogant ways, not in ways in which we try to elevate ourselves in status as the Pharisees did, uh, but in humbleness and respect that we would not worry so much about what others think of us, but what does God say and what does God think about us? And what God says here and what we see in his word is that marriage is set within the context of heterosexual, monogamous, permanent relationship. Again, not because God is wanting to limit us, but because God wants to bless us and blessings come in obedience. In the Old Testament, as Moses speaks to the people in Deuteronomy, as they enter the promised land, there's two full chapters. I believe it's chapters 31 and 32. He has a whole chapter on the blessings that people are going to receive when they enter the promised land by being obedient. And then the next chapter is the curses that are going to come for disobedience. Again, God wants to bless us, but he wants us to be obedient. And scripture is clear that probably more clear that the Old Testament law that to these Pharisees that they were pointing to, but yet they were unwilling uh, to listen and to allow their heart to be transformed. And when you take all of these things that God created out of uh, the context, the framework of what God has created them for, we distort it. Uh, we bring contempt on it, and it was never meant to be that way. But thankfully, we have a creator that forgives us of those things. And when we're faithful to repent and turn back to him. Verses 10 through 12 is, is a four verses here that we're not going to spend a lot of time on. But after hearing Jesus' declaration, the disciples come to him and they make a statement, but they're really asking a question in the statement. They say, it is, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, it is better not to marry. So by this, they seem to mean that marriage isn't worth the, worth the risk of divorce. If, the, if divorce is not an option. I've shared with all of my kids and, and the kids in the youth group that we've led in the, in the past 10 years uh, that even for, for the way that I view this now, again, um, for those of you that don't know my story, I never went to church until I was 34 years old, 12 years ago. Um, so my context since then and seeing God's word and the transformation that has happened to me and the, the teaching that I've, that I've put forth to my kids and the kids in youth group is that we wouldn't even seek to date somebody that we wouldn't have an intention to marry. Because if, if there is no intention to marry, the dating part of it is selfish. It's self-seeking. And that's not God's intention. Uh, you can begin to like peel that back in layers, but... But the ultimate intention in God's design is that marriage would result in the relationship. Rather than it's not risk the, worth the risk of the divorce if divorce is not an option. Because in God's design, there is no plan B. There is no option. But in man's own uh, thinking and man's own action, uh, that happens. And... I'll just be frank with you, I, I've been divorced. And I still struggle with that to this day of um, God's intention and design on those things. We were married as unbelievers, divorced as unbelievers. Uh, and God led me to Ruth in 2010. And we've been faithfully married uh, since 2011. 
And it was God's intent that we remain married for the rest of our life. And it's our desire to continue to stay married for the rest of our life. I just made a comment this morning as we were over there. We were talking about something different, but another pastor uh, that, that I served under, he, he would always joke around and make a comment. He said, my, my wife can leave anytime she wants as long as she realizes I'm going with her. <laughs> we're, to, we're to remain. Paul is clear in the New Testament over and over and over, whether it's pastors leading churches or uh, as Jesus says here, that we are to remain faithful. It's going to be tough. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be difficult. But we are to remain through those things. And the only way that we can remain is through the power of the Holy Spirit, not on our own. Because in our own, in Ruth and I, in our own strength, we would have been divorced long ago. But because staying focused on the Lord and allowing the Holy Spirit to work on our lives, he's held that together. I always joke around, too, and I say that um, when God took us, he took Ruth and he took Howie and he said, they're going to need me now. Most definitely going to need me now. I'm hard to live with. Amen? Amen. <laughs> but, as, but as we look at this context, and the disciples come in with the question, the statement that's the question, and he says, if this is the situation between a husband and a wife, is it better not to marry? Jesus goes on to teach about three different types of situations where they're referred to as eunuchs. And we won't go into detail, full detail about that, but eunuchs are re referred to men who are castrated. Uh, in many ancient Eastern courts, the male servants who attended the court royalty, the, the women that were there, uh, they were made eunuchs in order to avoid the possibility of any sexual activity. Uh, they were literal kind of eunuchs. They were made eunuchs. And then he expands on the concepts of the eunuch here, describing that some men is boring, being born eunuchs, meaning that uh, they may naturally lack the desire or have the ability. Uh, it would seem that those who are born with the physical complications uh, or um, desires that are incompatible with marriage. And then Jesus adds a third kind of eunuch and those who have made themselves for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. It's a broader sense in which Jesus is using the word to say he, do, he doesn't mean literal. He's, he's speaking figuratively to those who have set aside their desire and their right to be married in order to serve the Lord with a more single-minded devotion. Uh, it's believed that Paul uh, was not married, and, and, and he even says in 1 Corinthians 7, uh, as he described, describes his ability to be unmarried and unburdened, uh, to be overwhelmed by the desires uh, as a gift that God gave him. And it's a gift that not everyone has been given and that they should marry if they can't fulfill that. If they have the desire to be married, Paul says be married. If you don't have the desire to be married in order to stay fully focused on the Lord uh, with a more intent uh, ministry, uh, that's fine as well. So we might ask ourselves what all of this means. Everything that Jesus teaches, everything that we ever look at has an immediate, it has a future, and it has an eternal purpose. And all three of those go hand in hand. See, our, our immediate context of marriage or divorce gives a witness to others outside of the church, even within the church, of what we believe, which leads to future blessings or future, for obedience or future consequences for disobedience. And all that culminates in an eternal reward or an eternal judgment. So in reverse of that, because of the eternal reward and the eternal life that we have, the, the future context that we seek to live in and the immediate context that we're living in should matter. 
I've said it several times, the way in which we live our lives matters. The things that we say and do matter. And the reason that they matter is because God says it does. And the way in which, the things in which we do show people what we ultimately believe. And so the Bible consistently refers, as I said before, Jesus as the bridegroom and we as the church as his bride. Only redeemed believers, regenerate, uh, we are his bride. And in the Old Testament, people are consistently called out for their di- uh, the, the lack of discipline, and they are disciplined uh, for the inability or unwillingness to remain faithful to God. And in, in, in the Old Testament, it's always referred to as adultery when people go astray and walk away from God. In fact, if you want to turn with me there to Hosea chapter 13, uh, I'm going to read verses 1 through 4 here in a second. But in the book of, in the book of Hosea, the entire book is about a prophet named Hosea that God calls to marry a woman that he knows is going to be unfaithful to Hosea. And in the process of all that, when his wife leaves him and has a relationship with another man, God says, go back to her. It's a picture of what God was doing for us uh, as he continues to pursue us, as he sends his son uh, to come and to to die in our place for our sin, that he loved us that much that uh, he continued to pursue. God commands Hosea to do so. He tells her to love as he loves the Israelites here in chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. Return, Israel, to the Lord your God. Your sins have been your downfall. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, forgive all our sins and receive us graciously, that we may offer the fruit of our lips. Assyria cannot save us. We will not mount war horses. We will never again say our gods to what our own hands have made. For in you the fatherless find compassion. I will heal their waywardness and love them freely. For my anger has turned away from them. So see, despite all of our own wickedness, our own uh, desires, the sinful desires that we have, the adultery that we commit in our relationship with the Lord Uh, that we don't permanently keep our eyes focused on him. We're unable to do so. Romans is clear in that, that for all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. And because of that sin, uh, the the wages in which we should receive is death. But God provided the gift in which we can be redeemed and made new. And that's a wonderful gift. And Romans 5.8 tells us that that happened while we were still sinners. It says, but God demonstrated his own love and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That marriage, that relationship that we have with him, that understanding that Christ loves us, he died for us, wants us to be his, and one day, church, he will return so that we can have that eternal life with him permanently. And that comes only by way of repentance, turning from our sin and saying yes to Jesus, just like we would in our marriage ceremonies when we, when we say our vows and we say I do, saying yes to Jesus. So if you here this morning don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, you can't split those two. Uh, the world is fine with saying Jesus is my Savior, but unwilling to submit to his Lordship. They go hand in hand. He is our Savior and our Lord, and he's calling. He's pursuing. He does love you, and he's provided the only way in which you 
can be made right with him, be made right with the Father. You can come and you can profess uh, your faith in him this morning. Uh, you can uh, do it right where you're seated. Uh, you don't have to walk an aisle to be saved. Uh, all you have to do is hear God's call in your life and say yes to him. I'm going to lead us in a word of prayer this morning. Uh, and then we are going to, the guys are going to come forward and uh, we're going to distribute the, the bread and the, the juice for our uh, communion time. Uh, and if you are a regenerate believer in Jesus Christ, been made new, given new life, you're welcome at the table. Uh, if you have young children and they don't understand the aspect, full aspect of communion, if they're not regenerate, uh, as a parent, we just ask that you would uh, refrain from them taking communion. Scripture is clear that uh, the way and the manner in which we receive uh, communion and partaking in it uh, ultimately uh, grows us closer to Christ or bring judgment on ourselves. Uh, we are to not do so lightly. We are to only do so as believers. Uh, maybe there's uh, something going on in your life that you feel like you want to refrain from communion this morning. That's fine as well. Uh, but if, as a believer in Christ, we would welcome you to the table. Let's pray. Father God, we, we come to you this morning as we should every moment of our lives, humble, repentant, understanding our sin separates us from a holy God. Lord, help us to be as the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, as he looks and won't even look up to heaven, but beats his chest and says, forgive me, a sinner. Lord, help us to have that same attitude to know that our sin separates you from us, from you, but that your son, Jesus Christ, comes and allows us to approach the throne with boldness and confidence as we are made new in him and we receive his righteousness, not our own. We know that as we read from Genesis this morning that uh, and Romans tells us in chapter 5 that just as sin entered the world through one man, so salvation enters the world through one man, the man Christ Jesus. Lord, help us to keep our focus and our eyes on him as the groom and us as the bride. We thank you, and Lord, help us to live our lives worthy of the gospel. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.